You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet, coming to you from Greeley, Colorado. Today is December 1st, 2021, and Wednesday. This is episode 267 of the podcast. And before we get things really started off, I will just share a quick update. I noticed this morning as I was looking at Anchor FM where I host this podcast from and then Anchor, which is a subsidiary of Spotify, re-hosts, republishes, re-whatever. Uh, rebroadcasts my podcast to, I think, nine other different platforms. I noticed as I was looking at Anchor FM that my sponsorship for Anchor has expired. So they may have just run a certain set campaign where once they got to a certain spending limit themselves, it would finish up. Or maybe they've decided they're going to go a different route as far as trying to promote the Anchor FM brand. I don't know. But in any event, you will not be hearing the Anchor FM advertisement on future episodes unless they open that up again and I can uh, do that sponsorship again. It's not a terribly lucrative uh, sponsorship, just one by itself. Or it, or it wasn't. I guess it's it's not going to be lucrative at all now that it's expired. <laughs> uh, but now that uh, that is no longer active, I'll just skip putting that advertisement in episodes. But I will say, if you or someone you know would be interested in potentially having uh, some kind of a sponsorship, a little advertising uh, on my podcast, just let me know. Uh, I certainly would be open to it, but quite honestly, I'm not all that worried about it one way or the other. I didn't get into the podcasting thing first and foremost to make money. Uh, what this is, is this is a effort at trying to get more disciplined and more intentional in communicating. I want to tell the truth. I want to speak the truth and I want to speak the truth in love with gentleness and respect. I also want to speak the truth with sufficient boldness, not timidly, and I want to rightly handle the word of truth. I want to study to show myself approved, a workman who needs not be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. I also, at the same time, want to take every thought captive to Christ. And that is to say, not every thought is captive to Christ. The fact that you have that to do is another way of admitting we're not there yet. But all of that said, I, I would say with the podcasting, with writing, with anything that I'm doing kind of as a sidebar to my day job, my nine to five or six to six or whatever hours it is that I keep uh, with my oil and gas uh, automation technician position for how our, however long the good Lord is pleased for me to do the automation technician thing. The side gig work, if it makes some money, 
if it is supported financially, uh, I won't object. I certainly don't mind, but it's not the first and foremost thing that I'm in it for. I'm not in it for that. I think if I'm doing this as unto the Lord, then there's a reward there that I can expect from him. And so that's what I want to be my motivation, in part because it's always bothered me when efforts at apologetics, evangelism, preaching, teaching, uh, ministry seem commercialized. That's always bothered me that there gets to be this kind of marketing shtick wherein Christians change. They, they change the message in order to either attract sponsorship or to retain sponsorship. You leave certain things out because you don't know if people would support you if you were upfront and honest. And you include things that you wouldn't that are not necessary just to try to flatter people who then will say, ah, yes, okay, this is my flavor. This is what I'm going to uh, contribute to. I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I want to just say, hey, straight down the middle, by the grace of God, this is the best I can understand it. And I'm going to share that with you and trust the good Lord that the good Lord has uh, our provision in mind and he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and whatever comes, comes. If it doesn't turn into a profitable venture financially, in the short term, medium term, long term, humanly speaking, uh, fine, fine, so be it. Uh, I don't want to be a slave to that. I don't want to be beholden to that. You know, I was talking with Joseph Crampton. Shout out to Joseph Crampton, one of my two compatriots with Ingladii Veritas. I was talking with him and Bobby McPherson both in one of our sessions, our Friday night writing club Zoom meetings here a few months back. And I explained my unease with regards to marketing. And it's not that I think marketing is bad. It's not that I think advertising is bad. I totally get the need for that. And I think it's appropriate. It's not untoward or unchristian for us to work and make a profit. That's not what it is. Um, But I, I don't want the product that I'm putting out to be fundamentally altered and modified and even potentially taken off course by undue concern about whether people are going to financially back it. And so he threw out this quip that, you know, you're, you're a true artist. Uh, and I, I said, well, I, I don't know about that, but maybe, like maybe that's, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's the art uh, and I do want it to be an art. I think art can be a beautiful way of honoring God. If you're a musician and God has given you this talent and this ability with music, you can hold a, a note, you can keep tempo, uh, you can be creative in singing to the Lord a new song, then by all means, make that music as artistic as you possibly can to the glory of God, to direct glory and honor and attention towards the Most High God, to worship God, by all means, use your musical ability that way. If God's made you gifted, talented with regards to painting or drawing or laying out 
colors and patterns and shapes and textures in a way that is visually pleasing, in a way that evokes the proper emotional state towards a person, place, or thing, or towards God, then by all means, apply yourself in a way that is skillful, in a way that's intentional, and lean into that to the glory of God. I think it would be wrong of us to say, as soon as something is done skillfully and done well, and we take pride in our work, that's automatically a disqualifier, like, hey, you're getting ahead of yourself and you're taking pride in yourself and you're glorying yourself. That can happen, certainly. But the Old Testament is replete with references here and there to people who were skilled, skilled craftsmen, skilled workers of gold or skilled workers with wood or skilled masonry uh, artisans you know, people who were commissioned to do important work and to do it well. Whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with your might as unto the Lord. That is entirely biblical. And I think we should want things to be beautiful. I think in the postmodern era, everything's deconstructed. And we talked a little bit about this in yesterday's podcast. I've touched on it many times in 267 episodes. But Postmodernism is all about deconstructing truth claims and deconstructing our notion of aesthetics. What is beautiful? What is good? What is true? Can we really know? And if you read Francis Schaeffer's Escape from Reason, you get a much better uh, historical picture of what's going on there philosophically in art, in media in every sphere of modern life than I can do justice to in the time that I've got. But I want to thank Matt Hall, uh, pastor of Glendive Alliance Church in Glendive, Montana, for years ago having introduced me to that Francis Schaeffer book. It's the only Francis Schaeffer book I've ever read, but I loved it. I love it dearly. And he talks about this effort to deconstruct our notion of what is good and true and beautiful. And when we moved to Colorado back in September 2019, that was one of the things we were so jazzed about was that we get plugged into this church, Summit View Community Church, which I think was providential. I think that was absolutely God's sovereign hand guiding us to where we ended up being. I think that was his providence to us. I think that was his... Uh, goodness and grace to us that we were plugged in here. I hope, uh, certainly, that it's been providential for the Summit View Community Church uh, folks, that we've been an encouragement, a net uh, blessing to them consistently. I'm sure we occasionally uh, ruffle some feathers and get on some nerves and try people's patience, but uh, that's people for you. That's us. We're people. They're people. Y'all are people. Uh, But When we got plugged in and we started getting connected with other families who we had no idea on the front end were going to be homeschooling families with a similar mindset, a similar uh, ethos, we got connected with this homeschool group called Truth, Beauty, and Goodness, TBG, that met once a week. And it didn't last but one year uh, with us being involved in it. We 
got into the game a little bit late, and the folks who were putting it on, the family that was putting it on, the Rogers family, Virginia Rogers, ended up wanting to take a step back. Their family needed to kind of focus on them, which I think is totally valid and totally uh, respectable. I don't fault them for that at all. It was good for a season that there was this TBG group for several families to uh, be involved in, our family included, for one season, for one year. But I loved this idea that was not, it was not something I was used to. Truth, beauty, goodness, TBG. We're going to organize our educational effort around that. And we're going to do it in an intentional way, in community, supporting one another, encouraging one another. Truth, beauty, and goodness. Those are great things to rally around to the glory of God. What is true? Believing that there is an answer to that question, not just asking because we like asking the question in a deconstructionist sort of a way, like the episode of this podcast from yesterday. What is beautiful? We believe that there is such a thing as beauty. What is beauty? What is beautiful? Beauty is a a good thing. Beauty is a great thing. By God's grace, Things can be beautiful. Flowers can be beautiful. Sunsets can be beautiful. Architecture can be beautiful. A painting, a piece of music can be beautiful. The way someone speaks can be beautiful. The way that they dress can be beautiful. The way that they carry themselves can be beautiful. What is beautiful? We believe that beauty exists. What is good? What is right? What is upright? What is righteous? What is ethical? What is moral? What adheres to God's standard of right conduct, of right thinking, of right action, of right feeling? What is good? We believe that goodness is a real thing that God made and that God rules over and that God defines and that God is defined as good. God is good. And so also things that he created in the beginning, those first six days of creation and then him resting on the seventh, God looked at his creation each day. He surveyed it. He double-checked his work, if you will. And any artist, any musician, any writer, any skilled tradesperson who takes pride in their work will take a step back from time to time and inspect their work. And it is such a great feeling. It is so satisfying to do good work and then take a step back and examine the work you've done and say, it's good. And God did that. God set the example and we're created in his image. And I think that's a product of our being created in God's image. That when we take pride in our work, we do good work. And then we take a step back and we look at it to determine whether it's good. Is it good? Genesis chapters 1 through 11 show God doing that very same thing. God saw the work that he had done, and that it was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. 
And then he makes man in his image. And he doesn't just say that his work is good. He says it's very good. He says it's very good. And so I think it's proper for me to feel about this podcast the way that I do, where I take pride in it, where I understand on the front end that as a fallible person, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, I'm going to say things in a clumsy way sometimes. I'm going to say things that I ought not to say sometimes. I don't always have every thought captive to Christ. I don't always rightly handle the word of truth. Sometimes I should be embarrassed. Sometimes we all should be embarrassed. If any man does not stumble in what he says, that man is a perfect man, James says in the New Testament. But I think it's proper for me to try and do good work to the glory of God, whatsoever my hand finds to do, or my vocal cords in this case, which are still a muscle. We think all too often of our hands being these physical things, and we do work with our hands, and we are moving muscles and bone and sinew, and the blood is pumping to and from our heart, and that is work, and that is physical work. Speaking is physical work as well. Your vocal cords are muscles. So you're doing physical work on the inside when you speak, when you communicate with those around you, when you sing, when you tell someone good morning, when you ask them how they're doing, you're doing physical work. When you try to tell somebody the truth or explain some hard-to-understand thing or share the gospel with them or answer objections that they have to the faith or counsel them through a hard time or encourage them to keep on, to press on, you're doing work. You're actually changing your surroundings in a physical way, in a way that reflects the God who created everything in six days by speaking it into existence with the exception of man for whom he had a more intimate, more personal way of creating where he took the dust of the earth, which is humbling and also glorious that God took the dust of the earth and he formed it. He shaped it. He gave us our shape and our form. Male and female, he created us in the beginning. And he breathed life into our nostrils, the breath of life. It is proper for us to take pride in our work as a reflection of, as a way of testifying to what we believe about how God worked for six days and rested on the seventh it's also good for us to rest in a way that reflects what we believe about God resting, what we believe about God telling us to rest. It's proper for us to glorify him and worship him in that way, to worship him in spirit and in truth, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That is true and beautiful and good. With the time we have left, I want to jump into... Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. And before I talk about this passage, I'll just say real quick, I'm supposed to be helping lead some of the middle schoolers this evening at youth group. We took a small break for Thanksgiving, the holiday, 
people are all busy with getting together with family and traveling and celebrating. And so we didn't have youth group last week, but youth group picks up again this evening. And I'm supposed to be teaching on this passage. And with the job change and just having started a new job last week and not really getting into the full swing of things last week, really getting into the full swing of things this week, just got my truck, just got my laptop, just got my tools, just got my forecast monitor yesterday. I am going over to the Chevron account in the field today here in uh, an hour and some change, actually. But I don't know that I feel fully prepared to teach on this passage. And so what we're going to do with the podcasting is we're going to do a two for one. We're going to try and kill two birds with one stone where I podcast this morning and I also at the same time think through and prepare for teaching, leading middle school kiddos through this passage of scripture this evening. Let's jump right in with that said. Paul, the apostle, writes to the church at Philippi, starting in verse 12 of chapter 3, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Amen. So let's start from the top here. It's so interesting to me, and this wasn't planned necessarily, it wasn't fully intentional, but look at verse 12. Not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Look at the way Paul frames the whole business of discipline, of keeping watch over our doctrine, of understanding rightly God's grace, relative works, not getting the cart before the horse, where we imagine, like every other religion on earth does, that we are the initiators. We are the ones who 
lead with our good works, and thereby we merit God's favor. No, no. Grace is unmerited favor. We already, if we are in Christ, have this favor that we don't deserve. But as such, such being the case, since we have this favor which we don't deserve, we ought to live like it. We ought to live as though we have this unmerited favor. And that should foster boldness on our part. That should foster courage. That should give us a desire and an ambition to honor God because we already have this unmerited favor in Christ. We don't work to earn it, but out of gratitude to God as a fruit of having the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, we do work. We do live in light of these truths and this beautiful quality and this goodness of God. And yet, the Apostle Paul, as much as we put him on a pedestal, I love that he says here that he hasn't already obtained this. He's not perfect yet, but he presses on to make it his own. He hasn't yet obtained this fully, but he presses on to make it his own. In other words, he doesn't get hung up on his imperfection and throw in the towel. He doesn't get hung up on the fact that sometimes he says things he ought not to say. Sometimes he does things he ought not to do. Sometimes he fails to do things he ought to do. Sometimes he fails to say things he ought to say. Sometimes he fails to think and feel rightly. Because not every thought is taken captive yet. Not every feeling is taken captive yet. Wretched man that I am, he says in another place. The good that I would do, I do not do. And that which I would not do, that is the very thing that I do. But I press on to make it my own, he says here in Philippians 3.12. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Cart and horse, right there. Very succinctly. As long-winded as Paul can be with run-on sentences and paragraph after paragraph of this is connected to that, to that, to that, to that. Like a train coming into the station. This cart, this car cannot go unless it is linked to the one in front of it and the one in front of that in front of that in front of that in front of that all the way up to the engine which pulls the whole business where it's going this is very succinct of paul i press on to make it my own because christ jesus has made me his own that's it in a nutshell that's how to understand the relationship of grace Salvation by grace, through faith, not of works, while at the same time believing what James' half-brother of Jesus writes in the New Testament, faith without works is dead. Faith alone is what we are called to, what God calls us to. But saving faith is never alone. Christ Jesus has made us his own if we are Christians, in fact. If we're not deceiving ourselves, if we're not kidding and fooling ourselves, if we don't have an appearance of godliness but deny its power, Christ has made us his own. Christ has made us his own. He did that. You didn't build that, as Barack Obama would say. 
Someone else built that. Well, in this case, you didn't build that, your salvation. Christ built that. And because Christ Jesus has made us his own, we press on to make this our own. What is this? If you jump back up to the previous selection, starting in verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Resurrection from the dead came up in yesterday's podcast where we talked about a Washington Post article from the third week of October of this year. J.P. Chavez shared that with me. Sarah Pulliam Bailey wrote about these post-evangelical pastors, and I would say false pastors, false brothers, apostates, heretics, who met together in South Bend, Indiana, to discuss what are they going to do now, now that they've left their first love, now that they have been ejected or ejected themselves from the church, are they going to start a new church? What are they going to call it? If they call it something, what's it going to be about? What are they going to believe? Do they have to believe anything? Who am I? What am I doing here? Where am I going? Who knows? Let's ask more questions than we have answers. Because that's good, right? Well, how do you know it's good? That's a truth statement. You believe something. But one of the things that they're not sure they believe, and they're not sure they have to believe, is that Christ was literally raised from the dead. Paul writes in another place, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then we are lying about God because we say that he did raise Christ from the dead and that we who believe in Christ, who are in Christ, will also be raised from the dead. If there's no resurrection of the dead, as some say, then we as Christians are above all people, more than all people, to be most pitied in this life. We are pathetic, actually. And all those jokes that the agnostics and atheists make about us are valid. We are absurd. If there is no resurrection from the dead, we are to be most pitied because we are believing something that's not true and we're being silly and we're deferring gratification in a great measure for the hereafter. Now, of course, we can enjoy the truth and the beauty and the goodness of God's creation here and now. Whatever it is that he gives to us, Ecclesiastes says, We can enjoy the fruits of our labors, the days of our vain little lives (laughs) with the wives of our youth, for those of us who are married, for those of us men who are married. That's a good thing. That's something God has given us, and he wants us to enjoy the fruits of our labors. He wants us to enjoy the blessings that he has given us as an act of worship, giving thanks with joy, with joy. Do you know what the word enjoy means? Literally, according to 
the online etymology dictionary, etymonline.com, the entry for enjoy, comes from two French or old French words, one being n as a prefix, the other one being joy. The root word for the word enjoy is joy. <laughs> How about that? Who'd have thought? N, word forming element meaning in, into. From French and Old French, N. From Latin, in, in, into. From pi root, N or in, typically assimilated before P, B, M, L, and R. Latin, in, became N in French, Spanish, Portuguese, but remained in, in Italian. Also used with native and imported elements to form verbs from nouns and adjectives with a sense put in or on, like in circle, for instance. You're putting in a circle. If you're encircling, you're putting something into a circle. Also cause to be, make into, like endear. You're causing something to be dear if you're endearing or you're causing someone to be in a deer. If I'm endearing myself to you, I'm causing myself to be dear to you. Or used as an intensive and close. Spelling variants in French that were brought over into Middle English account for parallels such as ensure or insure. And most N words in English had at one time or another a variant in in, I-N, and vice versa. Enjoy, late 14th century, rejoice, be glad, intransitive, from stem of Old French, enjoy. To give joy, rejoice, take delight in, from en, make. Make joy. From Latin, gather, rejoice. See joy, sense of have the use or benefit of, first recorded early 15th century, replacing Old English, brukon, for which... See, brook. Transitive meaning, take pleasure in, is mid-15th century. In modern use, it has a tendency to lose its connection with pleasure. Newspaper photo captions say someone enjoys an ice cream cone, etc., when all she's doing is eating it, which I would beg to differ, Mr. Curator of Online Etymology Dictionary. How do you have ice cream without enjoying it? Are you enjoying that ice cream? No, I'm just eating it. Well, then stop it. Eat something else. If you're not going to enjoy your ice cream, don't eat it. Eat something less fattening, less sugary. If you're going to eat some ice cream, for God's sake, enjoy it. Wright's English Dialect Dictionary, 1900, reports widespread use in North and West England of the phrase to enjoy bad health for one who has ailments, meaning well, never mind. To enjoy oneself means to feel pleasure or satisfaction in one's mind, attested in 1708. So, we enjoy life. We enjoy the blessings of truth and beauty and goodness in Christ. And yet... At the same time, we're delaying gratification, the ultimate gratification, because this life is not all there is. We do believe in the resurrection of the dead as Christians. And if we don't, we're not Christians, actually. 
we're false Christians, we're false brothers, we're apostate heretics. You cannot, literally cannot be a Christian if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you don't believe in the resurrection of those who are in Christ, who are in the book of life, you are not a Christian. So stop calling yourself that. Stop thinking you're a Christian. By all means, become a Christian, please. Don't let my harsh rebuke scare you off. But Paul writes in verse 12, I press on to make it my own. Referring back to verse 11. By any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I want to enjoy God forever. I want to enjoy God in part by enjoying the blessings which he has given to me. That is the theology of material blessings that Doug Wilson, pastor of, I don't remember the name of the church, but some church in Moscow, Idaho, says we are missing. When we fail to adequately celebrate and enjoy, enjoy, take pleasure in Thanksgiving and Christmas, it indicates that we have a poorly underdeveloped theology of material blessings. If you cannot take pleasure in the good things that God has given to you, it indicates you need to do some more studying. You need to take some more thoughts captive to Christ. You just do. Continuing on, verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on, verse 14, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. In other words, don't underestimate how much of a game changer this claim about the resurrection of the dead is. Don't underestimate how much that is supposed to affect in your outlook on life. Verse 8, again, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Verse 9, I had the opportunity, the privilege of preaching two Sundays ago at Summit View Community Church. And I preached from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 21. Or maybe it was verse 20. 13 through 20. I think that's I think that's correct. Not 21. I'm thinking of verse 21 here in Philippians. In any event, we talked about Abraham and the example of Abraham faithfully, patiently receiving the promise, the blessing of the promise, enjoying the blessing of the promise that God had made. And yet God tells Abraham to sacrifice his only son, born in his old age, Isaac. Because God wants to know whether Abraham loves Isaac more than he loves God. Do you love God more than anything? Because that is the definition of worship. That's what every commandment, Old Testament and New Testament, every promise boils down to. The first and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. The second is like it because God made man in his image. So to hate your brother is in some respect a sin against God. 
And actually, first and foremost, it's a sin against God because God made your brother in his image. So when you hate your brother, you're hating God's image in some respect. And you can reject what it is that your brother's doing. You can hate if he is sinning against God. You can hate that. You can hate that mar on the beauty of God's creation. You can hate the falsehood which is inherent to sinning against God and man. You can hate the evil, that transgression against God's goodness. But you can't hate your brother. You're called to not hate your brother. You're called to love your brother, even when your brother is your enemy. See also Cain and Abel. See also Jacob and Esau. See also Joseph and his brothers. See also the Apostle Paul. And yet, what's interesting here is, When you look down, verses 17 through 21, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, verse 18, of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. You know, I got to thinking as I was listening back through the episode from yesterday, Some people are going to be really, really rubbed the wrong way. That I would talk about, even today, again, I'm doubling down on it, these false brothers, these apostate supposed pastors who met in South Bend, Indiana. And you could say, well, Garrett, that's not very loving. Didn't you just say you're supposed to love your enemies? And these are professing Christians. These are supposed brothers. Supposed brothers. Yes, supposed brothers professing Christians, some of them, some of them are actually not even anymore, particularly if they can sit idly by as the question is asked, do we really need to believe anything? Do we need to believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ? Can we just take that as a metaphor? No, you can't. Not and be a Christian. Not and be in Christ. You can't. Look at the example of Paul. Join in imitating me, he says. Brothers, join in imitating me. So for everybody who says, well, the Apostle Paul was the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians, imitate me, follow my example. Do what I'm doing. Talk like I'm talking. Think like I'm thinking here. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul says, not only here, that many are enemies of the cross, but he tells the Philippians, I have told you often this. We talk about this a lot. We come back to this a lot. This is not the first conversation we've had about these false brothers these false Christians, these false teachers. We talk about this a lot because it's important. Because you could be deceived and misled. You could be fooled by their bad example. Read Galatians. And there you see two kinds of responses to apostasy and false teaching and bad example. You see the example of Paul rebuking the Judaizers, in the sternest, strongest possible terms, 
He's talking about circumcision and how the Judaizers want these Gentile believers to all be circumcised. All the men who are Gentiles, who have become Christians supposedly, are not really Christians until they get circumcised according to the law of Moses. So you have to become a Jew before you can become a Christian, in other words. And Paul says, circumcision is not how you earn salvation by grace through faith. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. And the issue is not circumcision. You can be circumcised, that's fine. But if you think circumcision is what saves you or what makes you a Christian, you are not a Christian. If you think you are saving you by works, you are not a Christian. You do not understand the gospel. Paul gets really salty with the Judaizers. Galatians 5.12 I wish that those who are bothering you about circumcision would just go the whole way and cut themselves off. I wish they would emasculate themselves, it says in other translations. What he's talking about is castration. You think circumcision makes you holy? I wish you would castrate yourselves then. No? Okay. So drop it. Stop it. Knock it off. No more. No more of this nonsense about these Gentile believers needing to jump through the hoops that you've set up for them. You're a false teacher. You're a false brother. You are not a Christian. Please come to Jesus. But that is to say also, you are not in Christ with the things that you're saying. This is a false gospel. This is another gospel, not the true gospel. And then come back to Philippians. He says, many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And he's not happy about this. He's not enjoying this. He doesn't relish the fact. Oh, hey, a new challenger has entered the ring. I just love a good fight. No, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. But also, the Lord's servant must not be playing patty cake with apostates and heretics and false teachers like the apostle Peter was doing, who Paul also challenged in Galatians. And he tells us about it. He didn't do it so quietly that we're going to only find out about it in heaven at the end of all things when God makes creation new again. Paul writes about it, and we're still reading about it today, if we're reading Galatians. He rebuked him to his face. And it wasn't that Peter was a false brother or a false Christian, but he was affirming a false gospel through sins of omission. He stopped associating himself with the Gentile believers because he was afraid of offending the Judaizers. He was showing partiality and also undermining what they had preached as the gospel message. He knew better. Peter knew he knew better. Paul knew that Peter knew. And he set the record straight very publicly. So publicly that we're still reading about it 2,000 years later. Now you could say, Garrett, I love you, brother, but the way you're talking about these apostate pastors who met in South Bend, Indiana, is not very positive encouraging. I'm not K-loving it. And to that I say, read Philippians 3.19. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. Verse 19 
must apply to someone in our day, in our context. And who do you think it applies to? If not, those apostate pastors gathering together in South Bend to discuss whether post-evangelical is perhaps too triggering for people who have been traumatized by bad experiences, conflict in church. Who would this be referring to? Their end is destruction. Oh man, that's not very nice. You need to gently love people back into the kingdom of God, Garrett. Tell Paul that. Tell the apostle Paul that. Paul says in verse 17 to join in imitating me. And then in verse 19, he says, these enemies of the cross of Christ are going to be destroyed. Their God is their belly. They don't actually worship God. They worship their appetites. Their God is their appetite. They glory in their shame. They throw parades for things they should be repenting of. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like anybody you know? Mindset on earthly things. As I mentioned in yesterday's podcast, not once in the whole Washington Post piece do you see any meaningful reference to what God says about these things. It's all emotion. In fact, the article opens with emotions running high. Well, there you go. That's it. That's exactly what I would expect. I can't believe you said it right out the gate, but that, yeah, that's what it is. You're leading with your emotions, your feelings, your God is your belly. Something's going to give you indigestion. You're out. Done. Because your God was your belly all along. And so long as you were being fed, nourished, pampered, patted on the head, affirmed in everything, told you were a good little boy and a good little girl for everything that you do, giving and praying and all that, like the Pharisees do, which Jesus warned us about, so that you could be seen by men and praised by men. So long as that was the case, you were in. You were all in, as in as anybody could be. And then, when it got bumpy, you folded. And you could repent now. And you can repent now, and I hope you do. Because our citizenship is in heaven. From it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 20, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. All things in heaven and on earth. All things are subjected to Christ in the end. I got to leave it there, though. I got to go to work. Speaking of subjected, I need to go get dressed for the day, grab my lunch, jump in the truck, and be off. But as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.